So if you want to get, if you guys want to um, turn in your Bibles and spend some time finding uh, the book of Hosea, I'm going to go there here shortly um, in my message this morning. We're going to be there in chapter 14. Um, I'm going to try and do a Yom Kippur 101 uh, this morning for you, um, similar to what I did for Yom Teruah Rosh Hashanah last week, and uh, just going to give you an idea, an overview of the upcoming holiday. Um, before I get to that, though, I want to talk about today, specifically. Today is a unique day in and of itself. This is Shabbat Shuva today. Today is Shabbat Shuva. Um, this is the, the Shabbat that falls between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Teruah. Um, <clears throat> Rosh, Yom Teruah and uh, Yom Kippur, or Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So it's today, and uh, this is the Sabbath of the return. Shabbat Shuva, Sabbath of the return. Because if those words sound familiar, uh, I taught on these a couple weeks ago about shuva or teshuva. Okay, that was my message two weeks ago, was teshuva. It's the same word, Shabbat shuva, the Shabbat of the return. Um, teshuva being the holistic uh, concept of repentance. So uh, Shabbat shuva was historically a time when the rabbis would give a special message to the congregation. This was done... <clears throat> In, in those times, only twice a year. Um, you know, every week, you guys, uh, we, have a, we normally have a message every week now in most communities, um, but in previous eras, it was only done twice a year. They only had, the rabbi only gave a message twice a year. One was on Shabbat Shiva, and one was on Shabbat Hagadol, which is the Shabbat, the intermediate Shabbat at uh, Passover. Okay, so the rabbis would teach twice a year, and and uh, this was one of them, and this was customary for the rabbi to expound upon the idea of teshuva um, and emphasize the severity of sin. Now, I'm not going to do that because I did that two weeks ago, but the idea is that we, uh, we would be in that time of repentance today, turning our hearts towards God in, in this level of repentance. And, and we've been talking a lot about that um, the past several weeks, and so... I hope that we're already at that point. Um, I'm not going to go and rehash that, but the common reading today, which I am going to read, is from Hosea chapter 14, because um, it is a, is a theme of repentance, or of return, I should say. So return, shuva. So from chapter 14, Hosea, starting in verse 2, "'Return, O Israel, to Adonai your God.'" For you have stumbled in your iniquity. Take words with you and return to Adonai. Say to him, take away all iniquity and accept what is good, so that we may repay with offerings of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses. We will never again say our God to the work of our hands, for with you orphans find mercy." I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger will turn away from him. I will be like dew for Israel. He will blossom like a lily and thrust out his roots like Lebanon. His tender shoots will spread out. His beauty will be like an olive tree, and his fragrance will be like Lebanon. Those dwelling in his shadow will return. They will grow grain and bud like a vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim. What more are idols to me? I have responded and observed him. I will be like a luxuriant cypress tree. 
from me I will, will be found your fruit. Who is wise? Let him discern these things. Who is intelligent? Let him know them. For the ways of Adonai are straight, and the just walk in them, but the wicked will stumble in them. Amen. The word of the Lord. This section, Hosea, calling us to repentance, calling Israel to repentance, calling out specific sins of idol worship, and then in turn, it's offering assurance. It's offering assurance that those who do return to God, they will receive God's healing, God's restoration. And these things we do know to be true. And so it should be a strong theme of today. It should be a strong theme of this holiday season. So that's all the time we're going to spend on today on Shabbat Shuvah. I want to talk specifically about Yom Kippur. I want us to prepare for what's coming up this Thursday, Wednesday night going into Thursday. This is the second of our fall feasts. And I have a hard time calling Yom Kippur a festival or a celebration because of those words convey different feelings for me. A festival or celebration sounds more like a party. Um, I don't see Yom Kippur as a party. So I talk about Yom Kippur, I think of it as a holy day. It's, it's an appointed time. It's something that I observe. It, it's, it's the sixth of seven of the holidays that God prescribed in Scripture. And for the sake of time, because I'm going to cover a lot today, and because we've already um, gone through with the Torah service and whatnot, we started a little bit late on this message. I'm not going to recap the other six of the feasts, but just recall that those holidays are divided um, into the spring and the fall holidays, the four, first four being in the spring, the last four being in the fall. They're all centered around agricultural lifestyle. And when we observe the biblical holidays today, we not only remember the historical events that happened in the life of ancient Israel, but we also recognize their prophetic fulfillment, okay? The both past and future prophetic fulfillment of Messiah Yeshua in them. Because these festivals... These appointed times, these Moedim, they paint a pattern of Yeshua's first coming in the spring holidays and his second coming in the fall holidays. So that's just a really high-level overview. What's in a name, though? We talked about the names last week. There is, right, we we talked about how there's three names for Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah, right, Um, Feast of Trumpets. In this case, we only get, we get two names. We get the English version right? Day of Atonement and the Hebrew version, Yom Kippur. So which one should we use? Which one's correct? Well, Yom Kippur, it comes directly from Scripture, except that actually in Scripture it says Yom HaKippurim on this day. Yom HaKippurim. So Yom is, is day, and Ha is the, and Kippur, atonement, the day of atonement, but Kippurim is plural, okay? So it's the day of atonements, we don't usually call it the Day of Atonements, but it is the Day of Atonements. Um, perhaps this is because the day cleanse, this, the sacrifice, the purification process was to cleanse from a multitude of sins. That's what I would suggest. It's because a multitude of sins were covered on this day. Um, when we think about Yom Kippur or the word Kippur, there's related words in Hebrew 
that are relevant to this day, like kofer, which is ransom, or kaparot, which is the mercy seat. I'm going to talk a little bit about that later. The Day of Atonement is the English phrase of this. It's a pretty good direct translation, though, of what we, what we have in the Hebrew. And I think you can use them both correctly. If I was talking with anyone other than maybe a mainstream traditional um, a Christian, I would probably use Yom Kippur because it's what's on the secular calendar. It's what they would recognize. Um, they would kind of have an idea of what you're talking about or at least know, have heard of the name probably. Um, a traditional Christian would see the Day of Atonement in their Bible, and that would probably be something more that they would recognize, and so that's what I would use talking to them. There isn't no right or wrong one to use, but just a way of communicating which would you use. Um, either one is, is okay. So similar to Yom Kippur or Yom Teruah for me, I did not grow up celebrating Yom Kippur. Um, I had seen it on the calendar, you know, when I was a kid uh, growing up, I'd you know, see the, these things that would come up in September and in October, and I'd see the, the, those uh, Hebrew phrases. I didn't know what they were, though. I didn't even know they were Hebrew at the time. I just saw that it said Yom Kippur on the calendar. I had no idea. I had no connection to the Day of Atonement, even though I had read my Bible. Um, I did not know that's what it was. I did not pay attention to those holidays. And so it was one of those that I became familiar with here at Remnant of Israel, um, just like some of you are. It's, it's a way that uh, we learn gradually over the years as we celebrate the feasts, and we learn a little bit more each year about what is God is doing and teaching us in these feasts. You might have been like me, you may, or maybe you grew up in a synagogue, going to shul every week, going to the, the holidays. Um, Yom Kippur would be one which many would go to, okay? This is one where, this is like the Christmas and Easter for some Christians, okay? For, for some Jews, this is, you go to Passover and Yom Kippur, okay? And, and to the point that it's, it's so popular that they would even sell seats for those services. So you want to get your seat at the front? You know, you're going to pony up for that, okay? Well, I'll tell you, you don't have to buy tickets, for our services here. Uh, <laughs> praise the Lord. Uh, just uh, come as you are um, this Thursday. But, but their services, um, you know, they would go all day. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later, but I, I definitely remember, um, you know, talking to our former rabbi, uh, now retired Rabbi Richard Siegel, uh, I would love to hear his stories because he would talk about when he was a boy growing up in the Orthodox synagogue, sitting on his Zadie's lap all day, going to the Yom Kippur services, and I think, wow, you know, that, that, must, that memory um, growing up um, still etched in his mind so vividly. Um, it's really powerful. And, and so I hope that our children, as they are being raised, also can have fond memories of observing, celebrating the holidays um, with you, with each of us, that we can establish those with our children, and they can have those fond memories as well. Regardless of how you experienced it growing up, though, I do want us to look in first at Scripture and see what Scripture has to say to us. And so last week, um, I had you go to Leviticus 23, I'm actually going to start a few chapters before that for Yom Kippur. 
We are going to hit on Leviticus 23, but we're going to go to chapter 16 first. Because Yom Kippur is described in detail, it gets a whole chapter to it. In chapter 16 of Leviticus, it says, Then Adonai spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they approached the presence of Adonai and died. Adonai said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holiest place behind the curtain, before the atonement cover which is on the ark, so that he would not die. For I will be appearing in the cloud over the atonement cover. In this way, Aaron shall come into the sanctuary. Okay, this is the description of Yom Kippur. In this way, Aaron shall come into the sanctuary with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the holy linen garment, have the linen undergarments on his body, and put on the linen sash and wear the linen turban. They are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and put them on. Then he is to take from the congregation of B'nai Israel two he goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron is to offer the bull for the sin offering. For, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself in his house. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before Adonai at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Aaron will then cast lots for the two goats, one lot for Adonai and the other lot for the scapegoat. Aaron is to present the goat on which the lot for Adonai fell and make it a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell is to be presented alive before Adonai to make atonement for it by sending it away as a scapegoat into the wilderness." Also, Aaron is to present the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself to make atonement for himself in his house. He is to slaughter the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. He is to take a fire pan full of coals from a fire off the altar before Adonai, plus two handfuls of sweet powdered incense, and bring them into the, with, within the curtain. Then he is to put the incense on the fire before Adonai, so that the cloud of incense may cover the atonement cover that is on the ark. That's the kaporet, okay? The atonement cover, the mercy seat, so that he would not die. Then he is to take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the atonement cover on the east side. Before the atonement cover, he is to sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he is to slaughter the goat for the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the blood of the bull. Sprinkle it upon the atonement cover before the, and before the atonement cover. So he is to make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of B'nai Israel, the sons of Israel, and because of their transgressions, all their sins. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which, he, which dwells within the midst of their impurities. No one is to be in the tent of meeting when he enters to make atonement in the holy place and until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his household and for all of Israel. Then... He is to go out to the altar that is before Adonai and make atonement for it. He is to take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and dab it around the horns of the altar. He is to sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of B'nai Israel. When he has finished atoning for the holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, then he is to present the live goat. Aaron and his sons shall both lay his hand, Aaron, sorry, Aaron shall both lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of B'nai Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. He shall place 
them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat will carry all their iniquities by itself into a solitary land, and he is to leave the goat in the wilderness. This is the Azazel, okay? Then Aaron is to come into the tent of meeting, take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place, and leave them there. He is to bathe himself with water in a holy place, put on his garments, come out to offer his burnt offerings and the burnt offering of the people, to make atonement for himself and for the people. Then he is to burn up the fat for the sin offering and smoke on the altar. The man who leaves the goat as a scapegoat is to wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. The bowl for the sin offering and the bowl for the, and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp and their hides, their flesh and their dung burned with fire. The one who burns them is to wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. Then afterward he may come into the camp. It is to be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you are to afflict your souls and do no kind of work, both the native-born and the outsider dwelling among you. For on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. From all your sins, you will be clean before Adonai. It is a Shabbat of solemn rest to you, and you are to afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. The Kohen who is anointed and is consecrated to be Kohen in his father's place shall make atonement and, uh, and put on the linen garments and the holy garments. He is to make atonement for the holy sanctuary, for the tent of meeting, for the altar, and for the Kohenim, and for all the people of the assembly. This will be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for B'nai Israel in the year, once a year, because of all their sins. And it was done as Adonai commanded Moses. Amen. So we get a lot more than the three verses we got last week. A lot more than the three verses we got for Yom Teruah. The picture we get of the Day of Atonement is one that it is the most holy day of the year for Adonai. The, the, most, the most holy day of the year in his calendar. It's a very serious day. It's one in which violators would get cut off from their people, from his people, from the people of Israel. According to Scripture, it's the one and only day, as we read, that the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies. He would bathe he would dress in the white linen garments. He would then enter the most holy place of the tabernacle or later the temple. And you would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat, the kaporet. And he would be sprinkling that blood on that mercy seat, which is that top covering, right? That top covering on the ark. That's the, the mercy seat, the holy, the most holy, inside the most holy place. And, and he would be confessing the sins of Israel as well at that time. It says they confess the sins of Israel on that live goat, that scapegoat, the Azazel. And they would send that off into the wilderness. And in, in doing all of this, the high priest was atoning for the sins of himself for, and for all of the people of Israel, for the people of God. So, really high-level summary there. In Leviticus 23, where the feasts are also described um, in much more succinct summary, it says in verse 26, Adonai spoke to Moses saying, However, the tenth day of the seventh month is Yom Kippur, a holy convocation to you. So you are to afflict yourselves. You are to bring an offering made by fire to Adonai. You are not to do any work of any kind on 
do any kind of work on that set day, for it is Yom Kippur, to make atonement for you before Adonai your God. For anyone who does not deny himself on that day must be cut off from his people. Anyone who does any kind of work on that day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no kind of work. It's a statute forever throughout all your generations and all your dwellings. It is to be a Shabbat of solemn rest for you, and you are to humble your souls. On the ninth day of the month in the evening, from evening until evening, you are to keep your Shabbat. That's what it says there in Leviticus 26. Very similar to what we read at the end of Leviticus chapter 16. See that it's on the 10th day of the month. We see that we're to afflict our souls on this day, to do no kind of work. It's a, it is a full, full Shabbat. And so what we read in this, out of Leviticus 16, Leviticus 20, 23, outside of the temple procedure, this, this second holiday on this fall feast, it's fairly light on guidance outside of the temple procedure. Uh, fairly similar to Yom Teruah last week pretty sparse on the guidance. We're commanded to have a holy convocation on the 10th day of the seventh month. We're commanded to afflict our souls and to do no work. So let's look at those commands, okay? Let's look at the date, right? The 10th day of the month. We talked about this last week, about this whole seventh month thing. When do we do this? On the 10th day of the seventh month. Okay, this is not obviously July. They, don't, they didn't use the Gregorian calendar. This is the 10th day of the month, of the seventh month on God's calendar, and when they left Egypt, right, he said that they were going to come out of Egypt, and this shall be the first month for you when they left Egypt, okay? And so that first month is when Passover is, and we know that every month starts with a new moon, and we just recently celebrated Yom Teruah that came on a new moon. How many of you guys have seen the new moon recently in the last few days, especially um, you know, with these fires going on, and even so it's even been a, kind of a clear western sky, but it's been really hazy, and so it looks really orange. Um, it was really visible. I, I first saw it on, a, I think it, I was on Wednesday evening, I was, I really, really saw it really, really well, um, and it was a, it was very thin sliver on Wednesday evening, and so that brought us on to that, that, that new month, the seventh month of Tishri. Now, I'm going to pause here for a second. Last week, uh, I mentioned something to you I want to retract. Um, I, I talked about how the Jewish people may have adopted the month of Tishri and its New Year celebration from the Babylonians. I did some more looking into that this week, and it revealed that that might be false. Um, I don't want you to have a, a false idea about, about the day and, and the origin of it, or this month and the name of the month and the origin of why they celebrate the New Year. Um, so I'm just, I just want to take that back and say it, it may not have come um, directly from the Babylonians when they were in exile. Um, still more, more for me to look into on that day, but I did want to clear that up um, because I did mention that last week. But we are in the month of Tishri. We are um, in the seventh month, and we're approaching the tenth day of the month. That's going to start on Wednesday night because the days go from sunset to sunset. And, and go into Thursday this coming week. And on that day, we're commanded to have a rest. It says to have a solemn rest. It says that this day is to be a, a Shabbat for you. It doesn't just say a Shabbaton. It's not a Sabbath-like rest as the six other days are, but this is a full, full Shabbat, the full sense of the Shabbat and, and the sense of what work cannot be done. 
Okay, this is the same as today. Okay, this is the seventh day Shabbat, and uh, and so there's no work to be done today. Um, the Yom Kippur has the same level of no work restrictions as a seventh day Shabbat has on it. Um, it's not quite like the other six holidays. It does say to gather as well. It says to have a holy convocation as well. And uh, this is a time, again, as I mentioned last week, when ancient Israel would gather to hear the scriptures read to them. They didn't have personal copies of, or scrolls, personal copies of the Torah with them. So they would gather to have it read to them, to hear that. And it is critically important for them, for them just as, like, as it is critically important for us to read and have scripture read to us. It is a holy convocation, a time to gather together. <clears throat> But the fourth command is the one that gets the most attention on Yom Kippur. And that says to afflict our souls or to deny ourselves. And the Hebrew phrase used here is the inatim et naf shotekem. The inatim et naf shotekem. Okay? That's the Hebrew phrase that we translate as to afflict your souls or to deny yourselves. Okay? So the first word, the inatim, Okay, that's used to, only to describe Yom Kippur. This is the only place this word is used, but it's a, it's a variation that comes from the root word ana in Hebrew, ana, and this is a word that means to be bowed down or to humble, be humbled, okay, or to be afflicted. Ana, the inatim means is a, is a variation of that word to be bowed down, to be humbled, to be afflicted, okay? So we have the enetim et nafshote kem, okay? Nafshote kem. And this is a variation of the word nefesh, okay? Nafshote kem, nefesh is, is the root word of this, okay? And uh, it's a plural form of that. Um, nefesh meaning soul or life or person, it can also mean desire or appetite or emotion or passion even in the Hebrew. So historically, this phrase, the enetim et nafshotekim, is translated to deny yourself, to, is to be denying yourself from food, okay? to fast, to abstain from eating. That's what fasting is, abstain from eating. Fasting is not like abstaining from your video game. Or, you know, you don't, that's not really fasting, okay? Fasting is food, okay? It's specifically abstaining from food for a set period of time. And even back in Yeshua's day, in the time of the apostles, they recognized this day as a day of fasting. In fact, if they were just using it in the sense of referring to a time, they might have just called it the fast, as they did in Acts 27, verse 9. They, they referred to it, when they were just referring to a time of year, they said, we are already past the fast, because they were in that season after Yom Kippur. Okay? They called it the fast, because that's what they did on that day. Now, we don't have any other references to it in the New Covenant Scriptures, um, as far as what they did, but they, it was a time of fasting. Now, we know, so we know we have a rest, a convocation, and fasting, but we don't really get into specifics 
of those things. What does it mean? How, what should we be fasting from? You know, I, I will tell you that it's from food, but there's some other nuances to that that have grown up in Jewish tradition that I want to share with you. Now, again, like I said last week, there are good Jewish traditions and there are not good Jewish traditions, okay? We don't accept all of them just because they're Jewish, but we don't reject all of them just because some of them aren't good traditions for us to keep. So we, we want to look at those that are consistent with Scripture and that are spiritually directing us toward Messiah Yeshua when we think about what are we going to do for any holiday, and today specifically what we're talking about is Yom Kippur, okay? So I want to talk about two different types of traditions. I'm going to talk about ones that are practiced today, and then I want to talk about, before that, I want to talk about some traditions that are more historical traditions for Yom Kippur. So the first one is this tradition about the name, okay? And what I mean when I say that is not the name of the day, but that this was a very significant holiday because in ancient times, this was the only day, the only time when the divine name of God would be spoken. This day was the only day that even in the, in the Judaism of Yeshua's day, the Mishnah says that the priests and the people standing in the courtyard would, they, so the high priest would utter the name of God, the, the expressed holy name of God. And it says when the priests and the people standing in the courtyard would hear the expressed name of the Lord come out of the mouth of the high priest, they would kneel and bow down and fall on their faces and say, blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom forever and ever. This was the one day that they would hear the name of God being spoken. Now we, we it's fairly clear, in, in, at least in the New Covenant Scriptures, that even Yeshua and the apostles, they didn't bother to try and say the name of God. So I would expect that they respected that tradition in that time, that it was only used at that point in time on Yom Kippur by the high priest at that point in time. So that's historical tradition number one, is the name being uttered, the name of God being uttered at that point in time by the high priest. The second historical tradition about this day is the tablets. Okay? Um, this, according to tradition, Yom Kippur falls on the day that Moses brought the second set of tablets down from Mount Sinai. Yom Kippur, same day. Okay? Remember, he had destroyed the first set of tablets on the time when he came down the mountain and they were partying with around the golden calf, the sin of the golden calf, and he threw down, he broke the tablets. According to uh, Maimonides, Maimonides said that the second set of tablets brought them the good news that their great sin was forgiven. And so they tie it to the Day of Atonement in that way. Um, many many uh, viewed this day as a day when Satan had no power to accuse Israel of any wrongdoing. And this, this tradition of the tablets, okay, it might not have any like tangible bearing for us today, but I think it's really interesting that they would suggest that this is a day when Satan could not, had no power to accuse the people of God of any wrongdoing. That's really interesting to me. Because when I think of the prophetic future fulfillment of this day, the day of judgment, and, and separating the sheep from the goats, 
Satan will have no power to accuse those covered by the blood of the Lamb, to, to make any accusation. He will have no power at all. So I find that fascinating, you know, that the, the Jewish people would, would look at it in that way. But that's the tablet. So that's the second historical tradition. The third one is the tradition of the scarlet cord. And this is according to the Talmud, um, which was written down around 200 CE, there was a change that occurred in Yom Kippur around the time of Yeshua. At, at Yom Kippur, two goats, as we know, as I read, they were brought into the temple. One was killed with a blood sacrifice. The other one they laid hands on, confessed the sins on, and they sent the goat out into the wilderness. And, and that was the scapegoat, okay? According to the Talmud, it became the custom to tie a red ribbon around the scapegoat, and when that goat was sent out into the wilderness, the ribbon turned white. And the changing of the color of the ribbon represented, signified that God had forgiven the sins of Israel for that year. And the Jewish legend goes on to say that the red ribbon stopped turning white about 40 years before the destruction of the temple. Um, so that was about the year of 30 AD or so, about the time of Yeshua dying on the stake for their sins. He was ultimately entering the Holy of Holies, able to enter the Holy of Holies. And so they took this to mean that God was no longer forgiving the sins of Israel by the means of the Yom Kippur sacrifice, even though they uh, would continue to do this until the destruction of the temple. So again, um, that's, that's in the Mishnah, or <clears throat> in the Talmud, I'm sorry, but um, you know, I, how real is that? You know, I don't know. I will go by what it says. Um, but I do, again, think that it, assuming that it is true, the timing of that is absolutely significant for us. Our understanding and linkage to Yeshua in that time is absolutely critical for that to, to have that meaning that that's when Yeshua's sacrifice replaced the need for that sacrifice. And we're going to talk about Hebrews chapter 9 and 10 later when we talk a little bit more about Yeshua being the sacrifice of the for atonement, entering the Holy of Holies at that point in time. So those are three historical traditions, though. I want to talk about some other traditions that uh, some of these are currently practiced today in Judaism that have grown up around Yom Kippur. Okay, there's, I think I've got five of them written down. First one is called the five afflictions. Okay, so we talked about fasting, right? That's one of the afflictions, not eating or drinking. But Jewish halakha says that uh, there's actually four other ones that we should abstain from, four, four other forms of pleasure that we should abstain from on this day. So you have not eating or drinking is the first one. The second one is you don't wash or bathe. The third one is that you don't apply lotions or perfume. The fourth one is that you don't wear leather shoes. And the fifth one is you don't engage in marital relations. Okay, so there's five forms of pleasure that are, that are said in Jewish halakha that you should not do on Yom Kippur. So what, what is said is that by giving up these sensual pleasures of life, we're said to live this day as if we are dead. We're not enjoying any pleasures of life on this day. Now, here at Remnant, we do participate in fasting from food. I do think it is up to you to decide what you fast from, what you abstain from on this day. 
food or otherwise, okay, um, some people should not even abstain from food, okay? If it's medically unwise, you should not fast. Some of you should not fast. Um, in addition, children who are under the age of 13 are not expected to fast either, though some do, some choose to do so. Um, because it's a fast, there is a tradition of wishing other people to have an easy fast on this day. It's a tradition. Now, I actually disagree with that because I, uh, <laughs> I say, I want you to suffer, right? <laughs> Be afflicted in your soul. I mean, if it's an easy fast, how afflicted are you, right? Um, now, I don't want you to suffer, like, too much, I guess, but, you know, an appropriate amount of suffering. I want to have an appropriate amount of suffering, um, again, within medical reason and whatnot. Um, but fasting is, a, is absolutely a spiritual discipline, probably one that we should be engaging in more, not just on Yom Kippur, but I'm not going to talk about that today. Um, one of the things I do focus on on Yom Kippur, though, with regard to fasting, though, is Isaiah chapter 58. I would encourage you to read that um, leading up to Yom Kippur, Isaiah 58. It really gives a great indication of what God sees as true fasting, Isaiah 58 does. So that's tradition number one, is the five afflictions, okay? Eating and drinking, washing and bathing, lotions and perfume, leather shoes, and marital relations. Those are the five afflictions. The second tradition is wearing the color white on Yom Kippur, wearing white. Um, Ashkenazi Jewish men, they imitate the high priest's manner of dress when attending Yom Kippur services by wearing a white kittle or a funeral shroud, okay? It's actually a funeral shroud. It's reminding of us of our mortality. In addition, the white symbolizes purity. We see that in things like wedding dresses, right? Um, so white is a normal color of purity. Um, it's a color of, of, in this case, they said a funeral shroud reminds us of our mortality. And we, we look to also to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, when we think about the color white, because it says, though your sins may be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So we, we know that on this day, this day when our sins are atoned for, our sins become white, in the sense of white as snow. They're pure. Again, we are, are, we, we are no longer stained by our sin. So when you come on Thursday, you're welcome to wear any color. I'm not going to judge you what color you wear. You'll see that a lot of us do choose to wear white on that day. But if you don't wear white, I don't want you to feel like you can't come. It doesn't matter. You can, you're still welcome to come, but whatever color you wear. That's, a, that's the one tradition is to wear white. The third tradition is one that we don't do here. It's called the Kaparat ceremony or Kaparat ceremony. This is a tradition that is reserved for the ultra-Orthodox Jewish communities, the Kaparat ceremony. Okay? In these areas, they perform a tradition called Kaparat. It's in the wee hours of the morning on the day before Yom Kippur. And this tradition involves passing a chicken a chicken over one's head three times and then slaughtering said chicken and donating said chicken to charity. Okay, this is a tradition that developed um, somewhere in the 7th to 9th centuries and uh, those who practice this, when they do this, they ask God, 
that if they were destined to be recipients of harsh decrees in the new year, that those harsh decrees would be transferred to the chicken. That's what they say. And so if you go, like, you can go to the Chabad website right now, the modern-day Orthodox Jewish group Chabad. Um, they will claim that the chicken is not an offering, nor does it... Pro- nor does the performance of the ceremony alone for atone for one's sin. Um, but it's really, it's like the Azazel, okay? It's like the scapegoat. They don't, they don't say it on their website, but it's, it really is. Um, it's, it's like a scapegoat ceremony. Uh, the person involved in the ceremony, they say, after swinging this chicken, they say, this fowl shall be in my place. It shall be my atonement, my expiation. It shall go to death, and I shall proceed for a good, long life. Now, <clears throat> as I said, this is something that only the ultra-Orthodox do, because there's been a lot of rabbis who criticize this ceremony, this custom. Primarily, their, custom, their concern for this custom was that it was a violation of the uh, prohibition to follow pagan practices. Um, here at Remnant, we stand firmly against the Kaparat ceremony, okay, the, that tradition. We know that Yeshua, not an annual rooster, but Yeshua, is our permanent atonement for our sins. And so our understanding of this ceremony, and the reason I'm telling you about the ceremony is not to make light of them, or to, to laugh at what they're doing, but to say, this should drive us to prayer and intercession on behalf of our Jewish brothers and sisters who are blinded to the truth of Messiah Yeshua. Those who are practicing this are blinded to the truth of Yeshua having died for them, having been their atonement, and this should drive us to prayer for them, to intercession before them, for them on their behalf. Okay? <clears throat> so that's the, that's the Kaparat ceremony. The, the fourth tradition is the mikveh. Okay? The mikveh. This is a traditional... Um, ritual bath uh, used by primarily by women after their monthly cycle, um, as well as others during times which they desire to have ceremonial purity. So some people also go to the mikveh just prior to Yom Kippur to purify themselves for the holy day. Um, and so we, in the past, we've had our mikveh open, um, and uh, we would certainly um, will be able to have the mikveh open this year. If there's anyone who desires that, though, um, please let us know um, beforehand, and uh, we will we'll have the mikveh ready if this is something you desire to do. The, uh, the last tradition, the fifth one, and I kind of mentioned this earlier um, when I was alluding to the tradition of uh, you know, our, our former retired, now retired rabbi Richard Siegel when he talked about spending all day on the seat of his Zaidi in the synagogue. In, in Orthodox communities, most of the day of Yom Kippur is spent in the synagogue, okay? This includes the evening that it begins, and the following morning, and the afternoon, and because there's five different prayer services on this day, five different services, though some delineate them into even seven services, but five, depending on how you're counting them, okay? We start with the Kol Nidre service in the evening, which is the beginning of the evening, or the Ma'ariv service. That's the first and or second service, if you're counting seven. Um, then there's the morning shakarit service, 
which is ended by the Yi's core service, which is, so that's your three and a four if you're counting seven, or your second one if you're only counting five. So you're at your Kol Nidre and your Shakarit services. Then you got your Musaf, your Micha, and your Neila service. Okay, so that's your five services. So the evening service is Kol Nidre, and that's the one they would start with in in Judaism. This is the service that means all vows. That's what Kol Nidre means is all vows, and this is an Aramaic chant that declares null and void any promises that are made during the previous year or for the coming year. And it's actually considered a Jewish legal procedure, and it entails the various halakhic formulations such as the recitation three times before a minion, before a, a number of Jewish men, um, and, uh, and you do it before sundown and so on. And I will tell you what, the Kol Nidre chant is really, is really beautiful. It's, I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever heard it, it sung before. It's, it's a very beautiful chant, um, very recognizable. We don't do it here, though, at Remnant of Israel. Um, for, I'll tell you a little bit why, though. Um, from its inception, it's, it's been a controversial prayer. And for us, our rejection of it is based upon our understanding of Yeshua's command that we are to let our yes be yes and our no be no. We are to uphold our vows, our promises and our commitments. We're not to cancel our vows and our commitments. We're to uphold them. So what we, we will do what we say we do. Our yeses will be yeses and our noes will be noes. And so you won't find us doing a Kol Nidre service here. We will be having a time of prayer this Wednesday night, um, but it won't be a traditional Kol Nidre service. So when you come on Wednesday, just understand when you come, that's what we'll be doing or what we won't be doing, uh, if, if you will. But the other services that I mentioned, okay, um, the Ma'ariv, the Shakarit, the Yizkor service, the Musaf, the Mincha services, the Na'ila, they take up several hours with traditional readings with prayers, including the Amidah and lengthy confession of sins and reading of the book of Jonah um, during the Mincha services. The, this is a, the book of Jonah, by the way, why would we read that? Because it's focusing on repentance. It's that the whole story of Jonah going and preaching to the city of Nineveh to get them to repent, and they do, and God relents. And so that's why that story is read on Yom Kippur. And then, after all of this, there is the appeal by traditional observant Jews to have their names sealed in the Book of Life again for one more year at that time. And it's followed by one long final blast of the shofar, and they call this like the closing of the gates at this point in time. <clears throat> and the closing of the book at this point in time. And when you get to that point, and the gates are closed, the book is closed, the shofar is blasted, then people kind of go, we made it. <laughs> through the, all the services and uh, through the fast as well and sort of get into this celebratory mood now. Um, so what will we do on Thursday here at Remnant of Israel? Well, we will incorporate some of the elements of each of the services into one single Yom Kippur service. Um, if you've never done it before with us, some of, the, some of the elements we'll incorporate. It'll be about two hours long, about the same as one of our Shabbat services. And we will have a highlight of 
confession of sins, of saying the Amidah together, and of acknowledgement of Yeshua as the atonement for our sins. That will be the highlight of that time. Speaking of Yeshua, speaking of the atonement for our sins, let's talk about that a little bit, okay? Jewish theology teaches that the Day of Atonement is when Israel is judged for their sins. And Scripture speaks about this, about Yeshua's blood covering for our sins. I want to go to Hebrews chapter 9 at this point in time. And if there's any kids upstairs, um, you going to get them? Or looks like we got one person. Multiple going to get them. We can get them now. Hebrews chapter 9. If you go there with me, and we'll end um, shortly on this. Hebrews 9, starting in verse 11. But when Messiah appeared as Kohen Gadol, the high priest, of, of the good things that have now come, passing through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, he entered into the Holy of Holies, entered the Holies once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of flesh, how much more will the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from the dead works, from dead works to serve a living, the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant in order that those called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has taken place that redeems them from the violations under the first covenant. Now, when I read Hebrews and I read these, I, my, my belief, my understanding is that the writer of Hebrews um, wrote this before the destruction of the temple and he was preparing, the, the Holy Spirit was preparing the people for the destruction of the temple because, you know, when that temple is destroyed, they're not going to know what to do. When they no longer have the sacrifices, when they no longer have the ability to have the Yom Kippur offering annually, they needed to understand this very clearly, that Yeshua is that atonement, okay? Continuing on in chapter 9, verse 24, it says, For Messiah did not enter the holies made, by, made with hands, counterparts of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in God's presence on our behalf. And he did not offer himself again and again as the Kohen Gadol enters into the Holy of Holies year after year with the blood not his own. For then he would have needed to suffer again and again from the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has been revealed once and for all at the close of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this judgment, so also Messiah was offered once to bear the sins of many. And he will appear a second time apart from sin to those eagerly awaiting him for salvation. Then if we go to chapter 10 in Hebrews, continue on, starting in verse 11, it says, Indeed, every Kohen, every priest, stands day by day serving and offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But on the other hand, when this one offered, 
for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from then on until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected forever those being made holy. The Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, also testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will cut with them, after those days, says Adonai, I will put my Torah upon their hearts and upon their minds I will write it. Then he says, and I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Now, where there is a removal of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brothers and sisters, and I want you to hear this, this is important for all of us, then and now, we have boldness to enter into the holies by the blood of Yeshua. Amen. He inaugurated a new and living way for us through the curtain, that is, his flesh. We also have a Kohen Gadol over God's household. So let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and body washed with pure water. <clears throat> let us hold fast with unwavering, the unwavering confession of hope, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds not neglecting our own meetings as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. Hallelujah. Since Yeshua is our great high priest, he makes that atonement for our sin. We don't have the need for the same endless blood sacrifices. Yeshua, our Messiah, he offered his own body and his own blood to be that perfect sacrifice. He is in heaven before God on our behalf. Yet, even so, with this, we still need to consider our own current standing with God. We still need to consider it and understand that we stand in our own sin because we have sin on a regular basis in our lives. That if we are unrepentant, in that we, have to, we, we need to be considering our own standing before God. And I think that this time of year is perfect for doing that because you know, we live in this continual state of refinement, right? God is refining us into the image of his son, but we, we need certain times of year to really reflect upon that, to really consider how is God changing us into the image of his son and what are the things that we need in our own lives to continue to confess, to continue to repent of, so that when we're called on that final day of judgment, that final judgment day, we have full confidence in Yeshua. Amen? Amen. We do. He will be there to prove that atonement for our sins through his shed blood. And that's going to set the stage then for the seventh festival, the final festival, Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. Hallelujah. It's going to be awesome. All right. And I am excited for that. My favorite holiday of all, Sukkot. Just the most fun holiday. We get to camp out and all that. So, so to close, just as we did with Yom Kippur or Yom Teruah last week, now with Yom Kippur this week, we've covered a ton of material. I've just kind of just blazed right through it. Um, kind of Yom Kippur 101. And just remember, okay, as believers in Messiah Yeshua, we need to learn to take this day still very seriously, okay? We need to be very serious about this day. This is the Day of Atonement that's intended to be a sober time, a serious time. 
time to, when we are reminded of our humanity before God, this, this time when we have our confession of sins, um, this is, this is a, a really sober, sobering time um, to, to reflect on those, to confess those. Some, unfortunately, some people don't really take this day seriously. They, they don't see the importance of it. They don't see the need for that yearly spiritual inventory. Yes, we're not, we're not uh, asking God to write our names in the book of life year after year, but we, doing a spiritual inventory is still a very good thing. And I think that, uh, that that attitude, when people reject that, that's a fairly immature attitude um, to, to reject that um, you know, Rav Shuler, he reminds us in Philippians 2.12 to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Um, I think we need to, it's good for us to evaluate where we stand in, in our, before God once a year in the sense of, are we really truly living the life that God has called us to live? Are we being shaped in the image of his son? Okay, so it's a, it's a very serious day this Thursday. So as we go into it, as we go into Yom Kippur this week, don't just think of it as a day that we're going to not eat. It's, it's, this is a time when we stand in fear of an eternal God. So we, we can't allow ourselves to be casual about this day, where we're just counting down the hours to the, to the time when we break the fast, okay? That's not really what it's about. We have to take this time and take our salvation a lot more serious than that. And at least we should be fasting and praying for others. If we know others who don't have that salvation that we have, at least use this time to fast and pray and intercede on behalf of others. I mentioned that earlier about those Jewish brethren who don't recognize Messiah Yeshua. We also, I'm sure, have many family members who are in the same boat. I know I do. So this is a good time to do that. So what are we going to do this Thursday? We're going to observe Yom Kippur by afflicting ourselves, by standing in awe, maybe kneeling in awe, bowing in awe, humbling ourselves before the holy and righteous and eternal God. We're going to take this day seriously. We're going to confess our sin before the Lord. And in doing so, we're going to claim the blood of Messiah Yeshua, who is the atoning covering for our sin. And we're going to dedicate ourselves to service for him for the next year. We're going to re remember ourselves, just how really truly human we are before our creator, and how much we should be humbled at this time. Amen? Amen. So this is Yom Kippur coming up again this week. It starts on Wednesday night. It will culminate with our service at 5.30 on Thursday. So I would invite you to all be here both starting on Wednesday for prayer and then Thursday for our service at 5.30 p.m.